the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold the Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into hour two of our three-hour tour. My guest this hour was uh, one of only two people that were part of Operation Warp Speed right from its inception, and uh, it's uh, coming up on a year, believe it or not, since uh, the first rollouts of COVID-19 vaccines. And uh, here to talk about that is Paul Mango. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks so much for having me. Um, you were the key liaison and coordinator of the effort between the White House, the, the core Operation Warp Speed team, and uh, health and human services support functions. Um, how did that? How did that all come about? I mean, 
vaccines were being developed in labs. There, there was a, an emergency approval. Um, when, when did you get involved in it, and what was it like in those, those very beginning days? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question, Tom. And um, I have to say that it actually began on January 3rd. 2020, and that's when Dr. Bob Redfield from the CDC called up to the secretary's office, and I was with Secretary Azar virtually every hour of the day. I was his deputy chief of staff, and we did almost everything together, but Bob Redfield said, uh, Mr. Secretary, I think we have a problem in China, and um, that began a whole series of activities that led to the inception of Operation Warp Speed, but just very briefly, you know, in early January of 2020, we attempted to contain the virus in China. Remember, we began to um, uh, eliminate travel from China before the end of January. We thought maybe we could prevent COVID from coming to the United States. Well, that didn't work. It was already <laughs> here, as we right. learned, uh, 2020 hindsight, right? It was already here. So uh, our, our second strategy was really around what we call mitigation. So, okay, we can't stop it from getting here, but can we prevent it from spreading wildly? And that included, you know, isolation and social distancing and masks and quarantines and, and that type of thing. And then we learned uh, along the way that this was a very wily virus in two ways. One is um, what they call, you know, you've heard Dr. Fauci talk about this, asymptomatic transmission, meaning you could feel perfectly healthy but be transmitting this virus to another person. And then the second thing was what we call, I know these are fancy words, but asymmetric clinical impact. Well, what does that mean? It means some people get sniffles from it and other people die in seven days. So when you combine those two, it's a very unusual virus, very, very unusual. So we went into our third strategy, which was to try to move resources to the places that were having severe outbreaks. And if you remember in March of 2020, it was New York City. Uh, began and we had the remember we had the, the Navy ship Comfort there. We worked to open up thousands of hospital beds at the Javits Center, and they were just being overrun with COVID patients. And we were shipping out ventilators. Okay, so all of this was happening within six or eight weeks of the time the virus was identified, and we finally decided that there was only one way we were ever going to get out of this, and this was to accelerate the development of a safe and effective vaccine, and that. Even though we had been screening the world for who was developing vaccines and the NIH was working with Moderna early on on developing a vaccine, which, which actually uh, came out pretty early, but had to be tested and so forth, had to be manufactured. But we decided that a special government effort led uh, principally by Secretary Azar, who had come from the pharmaceutical industry, needed to be developed. And so Operation Warp Speed was <laughs> conceived uh, after we got a phone call from a pharmaceutical company in late March. And they were calling the secretary to thank him for a grant that was delivered to that company for the purpose of developing a COVID vaccine. And he hung up and he asked me, it was several hundred million dollars, it was a significant amount of money. And he asked me, do you know what we're getting for this grant? What are we getting in return? <laughs> and uh, so we called in the team that issued the grant and they said, well, they're gonna start their phase one clinical trial in September. And, of course, the secretary was appropriately concerned about that. And he said, that, my friend, is business as usual. We cannot do this as business as usual. We're going to change fundamentally the way these vaccines are developed. And we were off to the races. So that was the end of March. And um, uh, the secretary said, we need some talent from the outside that we don't have here. Uh, 
Uh, so we went and got the best vaccine developer in the world. His name was Monsef Slawi. Uh, he had developed 14 successful vaccines. We got a manufacturing expert. We went over to the Pentagon and got Secretary Mark Esper to give us the Army Materiel Command to work on all the distribution. And uh, within just a few weeks, we had to assemble the team and we went over to the White House and the president had us in the Rose Garden and he told the world we were going to have a vaccine, a safe and effective vaccine, manufactured at scale, meaning millions of doses, before the end of 2020. Um, so that's how it started. It was uh, really a bit serendipitous based on a phone call that uh, kind of set off a bunch of alarms that said we can't do business as usual. And was there, you know, in those very early days, Paul, um, was it significant in in uh, in being I don't want to say caught off guard but but looking in the wrong place possibly because the the first reported case was on the west coast and then New York became you know like ground zero for this huge uh, outbreak yeah no absolutely uh, Tom and it was, you know, what we call in business, it was true ambiguity for several weeks. We didn't know much about the virus. We didn't know exactly where it came from. We didn't know how it could infect people. We didn't know how it could transmit. I mean, we know a lot about this virus today. I mean, there's still a lot to learn, but we know a ton about it today that no one knew in January, February, and March of 2020. And indeed, what had happened was, uh, you know, if you remember in Europe, Italy was one of the first countries that was deeply affected by this and it was linked to a manufacturing operation in Italy that was doing a lot of business with the Chinese. And the Chinese had hundreds of individuals in Italy. And there was a lot of transportation back and forth, you know, flights. And um, that is how it then got to New York City. Uh, and obviously it was circulating there long before the um, you know, the inflection point in March. I mean, it takes a couple of weeks, right? It takes a couple of weeks right. for this. And people were going to the hospital. We didn't have testing. We didn't even have a good test until the end of February. So people were showing up with fevers and coughs and everything else. And we didn't ha even have a means to confirm whether it was COVID or not. So, um, yeah, indeed, I think uh, it was true ambiguity. And we were make we were drawing hypotheses. But a lot of those hypotheses turned out to be wrong as you uh, as you suggested we had to adapt very very quickly were you surprised at um I, i'm jumping ahead a little bit paul but, but were you surprised at how political some of the mitigation efforts became you know masking versus not masking getting vaccines versus not getting vaccines yeah there, there's um well, I think, Tom, you know, there was a context in which all of this happened, uh, right? And the context was one where we had a country that was severely divided and contentious. And, um, you know, a And lot in the of, middle of a presidential campaign. In the middle of a presidential campaign <laughs> that, you know, that certainly heightened it. And... You know, a lot of that is understandable, and, and, you know, I was involved in politics for a while, and I understand, and I don't blame the politician. You know, they say whatever they need to say. What I, was, what I was disappointed in, quite honestly, was a lot of scientists who appeared to be political. I mean, I 
have this in the book about a lot of uh, these uh, scientists who, with good reputations who came out and said a couple of things like "There's it is absolutely impossible to have a vaccine before the end of the year. One of them said, if we get a vaccine, it'll be a, it'll be a campaign stunt. You know, scientists were saying that's a campaign stunt and it won't be safe and effective. I mean, that doesn't help for vaccine hesitancy, right? So, yeah, the politicians do what the politicians do, and I think we can forgive them. But there were a lot of scientists who, um, you know, were not acting in good faith is in retrospect. And, and we talk about that quite a bit. That was a bit surprising to us. I, I'm glad you mentioned the book, Paul, and I meant to uh, in the introduction, but um, Paul has a book uh, coming out that's, uh, that addresses the uh, Operation Warp Speed called Warp Speed Inside the Operation That Beat COVID, The Critics, and The Odds. Paul, is that still scheduled for release in March? Yeah, it's it's actually up on Amazon for pre-order now, Tom, and it'll be in print and um, on Kindles and so forth uh, the first two weeks in March. And I think it's important for the listeners to understand that this is not a political book, right? This is a book about an absolutely exceptional American achievement. And it's not about Republicans. It's not about Democrats. It's about how the government, when used properly, on a limited basis, can mobilize American industry to do spectacular things. And, I, and I, you know, there's a few things in the book I think the listeners should understand. One is that the government, the federal government enabled success, but our iconic companies delivered that success, okay? It was Pfizer, it was Moderna, it was Johnson & Johnson, it was UPS, it was FedEx, it was McKesson, it was CBS, it was Walgreens. There was really almost n never a, a single federal employee did not touch a dose of vaccine before it was injected into the American people's arms. We relied entirely on the private sector, and boy, were they adaptive and innovative and they mobilized in fact in michigan i know your you know your shows in michigan kalamazoo is where millions of these doses of vaccine were actually uh manufactured uh so and uh so, so michigan actually played a very big part in our success and uh, hopefully uh the listeners should be proud about what its state did but but i think it's important um, this is not a political book. We do describe the political context in which success well, sure. was delivered, because you, you can't ignore it. But it's really about an exceptional American achievement, probably not seen since World War II, and an example of when, you know, under stress, how the country can really come together, uh, as aspects of the country can come together, not the folks inside the Beltway, certainly, but the rest of the country and, you know, we've, we've distributed and there's been almost 500 million vaccine <laughs> doses administered. And we're not, you know, December 14th was the first one, December 14th, 2020. So, you know, next week, early next week is going to be the one year anniversary. But no country in the world could come close to the pace of innovation, the expansion of, of industrial capacity and the infrastructure to actually get these vaccines. It's, it's one of the most important parks. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I want to talk about how big this operation was and, and some of the different moving parts, but I have to take a break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes oh, so we sure. can talk some more? Yeah, absolutely. Great. My guest is uh, Paul Mango, and we're talking Operation Warp Speed uh, with regard to the COVID vaccine. We'll be right Everybody's back. Everybody's doing 
it on Brand New Dance Now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away And the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue uh, my conversation with um, Paul Mango, who is uh, the author of a new book about Operation Warp Speed, which uh, recounts his experiences right uh, right at the forefront of that. Uh, the book is called Warp Speed, Inside the Operation That Beat COVID, the Critics, and the Odds. His name is Paul Mango. He joins me by phone. Paul, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, it was, it was entertaining, Tom. It's no problem. Good. Um, just before the break, you were talking about the the impact of uh, basically um, the the pharmaceutical companies and transportation services and and how it was really American business that that created this this victory. But I want to take you to task um, for for part of the title of your book, which comes out in March this coming. Uh, this coming March in uh, 2022, the the title is Warp Speed Inside the Operation That Beat COVID, the Critics, and the Odds. Um, do you think we've beaten COVID? That's a, a great <laughs> question, Tom. And we, we chose our words very carefully. Um, I didn't, I intentionally didn't say we beat the pandemic. <laughs> um, why we said we beat COVID is um, about 98.5% of the folks who have died from COVID have been unvaccinated. Uh, so when you look at hospital admissions uh, and when you look at fatalities, the vaccines have done a spectacular uh, job. A very interesting part about our clinical trials, so the clinical trials when we were testing the vaccines, and there's a, a technical term called the clinical endpoint. In other words, what is, the, what is being evaluated? What wasn't being evaluated was whether the vaccines prevented someone from getting infected, okay? What the vaccines were intended to do was prevent serious illness and death. And again, about 98.5% of all the deaths of COVID in the United States have been among unvaccinated folks. So, you know, the NIH put out a report, the National Institutes of Health put out a report this summer that said in the first six months from December of 2020 to May of 2021, it estimated that the vaccines saved 140,000 American lives. And that was just through May. You can imagine after the Delta variant hit, how many more lives it saved. So yeah, I mean, I'm obviously I'm defending the title of the book, but we very carefully chose the word. Uh, it has not beaten the pandemic, but it, it is beating COVID uh, per se for those who are vaccinated. Uh, and something that, that I wanted to ask you about, the, the idea of Operation Warp Speed, that created in in some of the 
foil hat crowd that shortcuts had been taken and uh, that maybe we had rushed to a vaccine. But I, I really have the impression that a lot of why the, the pharmaceuticals were able to get this vaccine out more quickly was because of work that had been done on, on previous uh, viruses, SARS and, and the like. Yes, so I think I think two or three things for the listeners here, Tom. One is the um, mRNA technology, the messenger RNA technology, which is the technology that both Pfizer and Moderna used, was under development for a decade. It had never been used to develop a successful vaccine before, but it was being used to develop treatments for, for instance, cancer. And they were doing work at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, when the COVID hit. So right away, they converted their research at the NIH away from cancer to, can we use this technology to develop a vaccine? And we actually had, we didn't know it, we actually had a good vaccine before the end of January 2020. We had a good vaccine. Now it had to be tested for safety, for, for effectiveness. It had to be manufactured. Uh, but we actually had, that's how fast it was. Within seven or 10 days, we had a good vaccine because of this technology that had never been used before to develop a vaccine. But I want to say a couple things about safety and effectiveness because there's a physician, a great physician down at the FDA named Peter Marks, who leads the center within the FDA that approves or disapproves of vaccines. And um, he set out guidance in uh, June of 2020 for all the pharmaceutical companies that were interested in getting an emergency use authorization from the FDA. And this is true. The, in the past, clinical trials for vaccines usually included about 20,000, on average, 20,000 persons, 20,000 subjects, so to speak. He set a minimum standard for the COVID vaccines of 30,000. Okay. Secondly, he um, normally what you evaluate whether or not there's any safety issues or side effects, they typically occur within 42 days of the time one gets vaccinated. He extended that evaluation period to 60 days, where like 99.7% you know, of all issues with vaccines occur. And if someone's going to have a problem with a vaccine, a, a negative reaction, they would occur within that 60-day period. And then in terms of the speed, his, his unit approved these vaccines two weeks after the submission of the applications by the pharmaceutical companies, which is record time. But the reason they could do it so quickly is he organized his, his folks to work three shifts, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not a single standard of evaluation was compromised. The process of evaluation was changed uh, dramatically for the purpose of speed. So I think the listeners, I hope they understand that, in fact, these vaccines went under a more rigorous evaluation than other vaccines did, and they should not be concerned when the FDA gives it the gold seal of approval. They should not be concerned at all because it's a very rigorous data-based, you know, fact-based organization. And, and, and I'm glad that you were able to explain that um, because I, I think a lot of people um, had the impression somehow that 
um, it, that we didn't dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and, and despite its effectiveness, it had some concerns about rushing to a vaccine. And, and I wanted to bring that up to address that because I, I think there were things that were already in the works when this came along that made them able to, to step up their game and, and do everything and do everything quickly because some of the parts had already been developed, like the mRNA delivery system. Yeah. No question, and it's it's somewhat ironic, but Peter Marks himself was the one who coined the term Operation More Speed because he was a Star Trek groupie, I guess, <laughs> when he was younger. And, and, you know, we kind of regretted it a bit. I mean, we did it because we wanted the American people to know that we were doing everything we possibly could to bring a, a great set of vaccines safe and effective to the market, but we do understand in retrospect that a lot of people interpreted that as oh, boy, if it's going that fast, they must be cutting corners, which, which couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah, and, th- and that's why I wanted to bring that up and talk about that a little bit. And, and part of it was, I, I think, in an effort, uh, in all fairness to the director, um, to, to really enhance the momentum. You know, yeah. to, to get people excited about, you know, we got to get these vaccines not only out, but in arms. And, and so it was, yeah. it was with that in mind. And it, is, it, is it frustrating, Paul, when you, when you see people, whether they're considered experts or just, uh, uh, you know, common uh, everyday pundits, um, when they question the science? Um. You know, I don't, I would never criticize anyone for that, Tom. This is a complex set of topics, and I think the issue of any medical procedure, which a vaccination is, that's performed on an individual, I, I personally believe it is a, it is something that has to be discussed between one's own physician and the individual. That's where the decision should be made on this. I think our physicians are capable enough to describe the both the risks and the advantages of a vaccine. And by the way, they're very different by individual. You know, if you're 85 years old and you have a compromised immune system, the risk-reward ratio of a vaccine is extraordinarily positive, right? If you're, you know, a seven-year-old kid who's healthy and doesn't have any underlying conditions, sure, if I'm a parent, you know, you might just want to weigh that a little bit differently. But it's always a discussion, should always be a discussion between one's personal physician or pediatrician if it's a child, and and the individual. It shouldn't be uh, some other scientist who doesn't know your or my clinical condition talking about whether that vaccine is good or not good for, for you and me. So that, that's I, I wish it would just be, uh, as it should be, much more of a private conversation that individuals have with their docs and not a public conversation about who should be vaccinated and who shouldn't. There's um, uh, a guy who who shows up on the show fairly regularly uh, as a pundit for our political roundtable, Mark Everson, who uh, some years ago worked in a couple different presidential administrations. And um, when all this was going on, there was a presidential campaign. Donald Trump was still president, and there was Donald Trump's supporters were always talking about draining the swamp and 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 Mark used to 
say, you know, he, he would talk about the swamp, and he would say, you know what the, most of the swamp is made up of is dedicated public servants that make the trains run on time. And, yeah. and I, I said all that to, to set up this next question about who was really involved in getting American business on board and, and working together the way they did to make Operation Warp Speed successful. Um, was, it, was it those dedicated public servants that make the trains run on time? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really three. Let me talk about three different sets of folks. But sure. you're absolutely right. I had never worked in the federal government before. You know, the summer of 2018 when I arrived, and I think I had probably a less positive view of you know federal government employees before I got there. I have to tell you, there are some extraordinary individuals and extraordinary in multiple ways. One is their knowledge is unparalleled. Um, just absolutely unparalleled. They are experts at what they do. But second, in the context of the pandemic, just their commitment, um, their loyalty to the country, regardless of party. Uh, we were working seven, uh, you know, seven days a week, 16 hours a day, side by side with hundreds of career employees, um, and they didn't complain once. Uh, so a very, very important role. I think second is we did bring in a number of folks from private industry, a great personal sacrifice. I mentioned this gentleman, Monsef Slawi. Um, he worked for $1. Uh, he came from private sector. He worked for $1. <laughs> he didn't want, he didn't, he didn't want to get paid, but we had to, we had to just for processing purposes, pay him $1. He commuted, uh, from Philadelphia. He went home occasionally on the weekends to see his family for, you know, eight months. So we had a number of these types of individuals who made huge personal sacrifices for the country. And then I do want to mention, you know, we spent a lot of time in the Oval Office, and the president was, um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, demonstrated uh, great leadership in this effort. And you say, well, how did he do that? Well, he played in the book I talk about, he was the executive sponsor of this effort, and I took that from my days in corporate America, which is his role was to make sure he gave us the resources, gave us the latitude, and gave us the coordination and support of the entire federal government behind this effort. And, and how did he do that? Well, first of all, he did have a kickoff in the Rose Garden on May 15, 2020, and that sends a signal, you know, a lot of people can't appreciate this, but that sends a signal to everyone in the White House and everyone in the federal government that this is important to the president and therefore their cooperation was unquestioned when we asked them for support. But he also gave us time every couple of weeks. Um, we went into the Oval Office. We gave him an update. He gave us uh, a lot of support, uh, gave us anything we needed to get it done. And, uh, you know, he did not micromanage. Uh, he let the team do, he let the experts do what they needed to do to get the job done. So, you know, his leadership in this, regardless of politics, I'm just talking about him as a, as a leader. And no, no, I think it's important him. that you, that, that this characterization be shared because, you know, his, his addiction to the spotlight caused him to say some things that would lead people to believe very much the other way. Yeah, and, you know, he, he very reflexively, has a belief, kind of an inveterate belief in the private sector. 
right, and its ability to do things. And let me tell you, before Operation Warp Speed, there was another spectacular American industrial effort that people don't talk about today because it was overshadowed. But in March of 2020, um, almost everyone who went into the hospital, I think about 80% of the people who went into the hospital with COVID needed a ventilator. Right. Okay. Right. Well, um, let me just give you some numbers. There were 80,000 installed base of ventilators in the country's intensive care units when COVID started, 80,000. Okay. We had an additional 12,000 in what's called the strategic national stockpile in DC. So we could deploy them out. We get a call from Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York in uh, March saying, I need 40,000 additional ventilators. Okay, that was one city. I need 40,000 additional <laughs> right, ventilators. Right. Okay, so what Pres President Trump and Jared Kushner and the group did, they immediately began working with corporate America to convert factories. And, and you know what? Again, Michigan played a key role in this. Right. General Motors, Ford. General Electric, they all converted their factories and they produced 110,000 additional ventilators in 90 days. So this was before Operation Warp Speed really kicked off and the president saw this and he said, the American private sector is going to play a key role in, in preventing further catastrophe here in the United States. So he he had, a, again, this inveterate belief in the private sector. And when we went to him and said, we need $30 billion to get us a vaccine manufactured at scale before the end of the year, he was right with us 100% of the time. Yeah, and it's that's not the first time American business has stepped up like that. I mean, not just during the the COVID-19 pandemic, but there's there's a similar story about, uh, about FDR at the beginning of World War II uh, dealing with airplanes getting American yeah, business no, to convert and, and build airplanes for the war effort. And, and that's, that's happened multiple times, and, and it's good that you've uh, captured all this um, in your upcoming book, Paul, to, to let people know um, what America is capable of when challenged. Yeah, and you mentioned World War II, Tom. Uh, it was required reading on the Operation War Speed Team. There's a great book called Freedom's Forge. I'm not, I'm not commercializing the book, but by a guy named Arthur Herman who wrote the story of what happened in World War II. And we all read it because we wanted to know what lessons he learned uh, from that. And a lot of the way we set up um, Operation Warp Speed, like use of the Defense Production Act, we had to intervene in the supply chains and tell suppliers you can no longer send your supplies here. You have to send them to Moderna. Right? That's a that's a pretty invasive thing for American industry <laughs> to be told. But it yeah. was it was very important. Um, it was very important that the government, where it could exercise appropriate, um, you know, kind of appropriate intervention, that it did so, and that was done. You know, that was done uh, in in in, the, in World War II, as you said, for the airplane manufacturing. This might be a little bit off topic, Paul, but but yet it's it's connected and it's on people's minds, and it has to do with these variants, Delta and now the Omicron uh, variant, um, and and the effectiveness of the vaccines we have. What are you hearing about that? Uh, are you pretty confident that we're already in okay shape, or or do you think we need to kick it into high gear again because of Omicron? 
Yeah, I'm hearing a couple things, Tom, and I, I want the audience to know I'm not a scientist. I, I grew up as a business executive, so I don't want to speak as a scientist would, but a couple things I'm hearing. One is uh, that Omicron in particular is going to be significantly less virulent. It might be more transmissible, but it's not getting people uh, very, very sick. I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but in general, it's it's less it's getting people less sick than, let's say, the Delta variant or the initial virus. And what I read about is it's not uncommon for a virus to become more transmissible but less virulent because it doesn't want to kill its hosts, quite honestly, because it has to survive, right? Um, that's number one. Number two is I talked about the mRNA technology. And if necessary, um, it is so quick in terms of altering the vaccines, it can do so. And I think Moderna came out and said, you know, this was maybe a week and a half ago, we could have a that we could have a different vaccine within 100 days if we need it, right? Now, that's a long time, but still, that's a lot quicker than, you know, a lot quicker than it's been in the past. Now, lastly, though, I just read, and again, I'm not a scientist, I just read it in the Wall Street Journal either yesterday or today, but some people are now saying, well, let's let's put the brakes on this. The um, Omicron variant isn't, doesn't seem to be too bad. The vaccine seem in general to be working. Yeah, if you get a booster, that'll help you more. But for some reason, the scientists are saying we don't want to develop a different vaccine because if we give it to certain individuals, there's some sort of composition of the vaccine that may make us less protected against, let's say, Delta. Yeah, it might make you more protected against Omicron, oh. but less against Delta. And therefore, why do it? Because Omicron seems to be significantly less virulent. So again, I'm not a scientist, but what I'm reading leads me to believe that if you're vaccinated, fully vaccinated, if you would, of course, if you get a booster, uh, you should be just fine, and the American people shouldn't be too concerned about it. Well, the name of the book, which comes out in March of 2022, is Warp Speed, Inside the Operation That Beat COVID, the Critics, and the Odds, by my guest Paul Mango, who was there for all of that. And, um, Paul, we're almost out of time, and I really appreciate you spending this time and sharing some of your experience uh, with me and the listeners. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? You know what? We haven't stood one up yet. Um, if they want to get uh, in touch with me on uh, LinkedIn, I have a very active site there with about 20,000 followers, so they can reach out and I'll return their messages. Um, and as I mentioned, the book is up on Amazon for pre-order and uh, it's doing quite well so far. So um, this would be a great opportunity to give someone a Christmas present and you can just give them a little card that says your book will be delivered later this spring. But Tom, I did want to mention one thing I think it's important for the listeners before we conclude, and that is, and, and I think this is a heart-rending story. In June of 2020, um, we did activate a website at Health and Human Services, and we asked for volunteers. Who would volunteer for? We wanted to know who might want to volunteer for a clinical trial, meaning getting the vaccine right. before it was proven to be safe and effective, or even getting a placebo so you don't even get the vaccine, but you participate in the trial, which was crucial. In 48 hours, we had 500,000 Americans sign up. That's amazing. That's just It just shows you what a patriotic response, um, you know, of the American people are just so spectacular when it comes to uh, giving. And I think in this holiday season, it's important for people to know that their fellow citizens um, just basically came forward and said, 
give it to me. Uh, I don't care whether I know whether it's safe or effective. I need to do this for the country. So, well, Paul, really that's a, an excellent note to end on, and thanks again. Okay, Tom, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Happy holidays to you and your listeners. Back at you. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One very familiar type of song is the Christmas Carol, although it is perhaps a bit out of season at this time. However, I am informed by my disc jockey friends, of whom I have none, that uh, in order to get a song popular by Christmas time, you have to start plugging it well in advance, so here goes. It's always seemed to me, after all, that Christmas, with its spirit of giving, offers us all a wonderful opportunity each year to reflect on what we all most sincerely and deeply believe in. I refer, of course, to money. <laughs> and yet, yet none of the Christmas carols that you hear on the radio or in the street even attempts to capture the true spirit of Christmas uh, as we celebrate it in the United States. That is to say, the commercial spirit. So I should like to offer the following Christmas carol for next year as being perhaps a bit more appropriate. Christmas time is here, by golly, disapproval would be folly. Deck the halls with hunks of holly, fill the cup and don't say when. Kill the turkeys, ducks, and chickens. Mix the punch, drag out the dickens. Even though the prospect sickens, brother, here we go again. <laughs> On Christmas Day, you can't get sore. Your fellow man you must adore. There's time to rob him all the more. The other 306 a day of war. Relations sparing no expense will send some useless old utensil or a matching pen and pencil, just the thing I need. How nice. It doesn't matter how sincere it is, nor how heartfelt the spirit. Sentiment will not endear it. What's important is the price. Mark the Herald Tribune sings, advertising wondrous things. God rest ye merry merchants, may ye make the Yuletide pay. Angels we have heard on high Tell us to go out and buy So let the raucous sleigh bells jingle Hail our dear old friend Kris Kringle Driving his reindeer across the sky Don't stand underneath when they fly by (laughs) 
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Tree. 
Mommy brought presents for the whole family Grandma's cooking up the supper that the church folks sent Daddy's down at Honky Talk drinking next month's rent Show up here, it's just a, a white dress Christmas It comes this time of year And a Santa Claus don't like us Well, we don't believe it from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season and you've probably been told there's no room at the end. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across the desert. 
And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodette from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Alexander Zondra. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 